This podcast is to discuss meaningful topics and issues from the lens of two Camarican sisters and other diverse community leaders. Today's topic is code switching as women of color. Welcome back to our podcast. We are your two Camarican sisters, Melissa and Jasmine, and it's our first episode this season where it'll just be the two of us chatting. Finally! (laughs) We're excited to finally sit down and chat about something meaningful. Have you ever thought about the way you present yourself through verbal communication, like how you interact with others? What are the differences in the way that you speak with your friends versus your family versus your coworkers? As women of color, I think that we're unique in that we have certain ways of navigating around different social situations. Today, we want to talk about code switching because it's a life skill that has become essential to survive in the modern world, but it also comes with its pros and cons. Code switching is the act of changing our behaviors, the type of speech, language, dialect, mannerisms, even dress, Um, the way that we dress to match who we are talking to, where we are, what the situation is, what language we're using, what the mode of communication is, and so many other factors. For instance, you probably talk differently with your friends and family than you do with people at work. And also considering how do you speak with your cultural group versus your non-cultural group. For women of color and those simply with a background not typically represented at their workplace, code switching becomes a means towards an end in order to fit into the in-group of the setting or situation we are in and possibly advance professionally. In academia, to code switch can mean alternating between languages in a simple conversation. And for many people of color and other underrepresented groups, code switching encompasses a much wider and complex set of dynamics and practices. So how exactly does code switching at work in life look and feel like? It's a complex and often subtle language practice. Some see it as a survival tactic and others see it as a heavy burden. Many others still see it as both. What is the commonality? It brings up a range of deeply held emotions. So our first question is, when did you realize you needed to code switch in a professional setting? So Jasmine, when I... I guess when I was younger, like I hung out with people with limited vocabulary uh, who who knew street talk. And that was the cool thing, right? If you didn't talk like them, then you didn't fit in. If I had videos that I could watch today, I'd probably be (laughs) extremely embarrassed. How you speak has a direct effect in how others view you. And you start to understand like what belongs in an office setting versus like a more casual setting when you're home. But it also didn't help that I grew up during the age of the internet bubble. On the internet, I used a lot of slang. I think today uh, we still use a lot of internet slang. But do you remember when people would do that whole uh, capitalizing the letter, lowercase? Yeah, yeah, I remember. You do that? Yeah, I did. Because we had AIM, the (laughs) AOL Instant Messenger. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that really messed up how I typed. Gotcha. So when I was in the professional setting, you know, I had to like... Be more formal. Yeah, be more formal. And I had to go away from typing that way. (laughs) (laughs) I know that sounds really, you know, ridiculous. But that was something that was part of our culture growing up. 
when I was thinking about this question, I can't remember like the earliest time, but I guess I could say in general growing up and even now, it's uncomfortable and exhausting trying to fit in with the white dominant cultural norms. So what I mean by that is the individualism, like how the, the society favors people who are competitive rather than cooperative. And there's also a pressure to be social and bubbly into in that people are praised for talking more than they can think, mm-hmm. you know, like yeah. those were the people in school that were most noticed by the teachers. Um, growing up, I was very shy, so I didn't have many friends. And in second grade, I remember in at recess, I just cried. You know, I just oh, sat no. against the building or against the undercover area. Yeah. And I cried because no one wanted to be my friend. And I think that's, that's so because sad. people didn't notice me because in mm-hmm. class, I wouldn't raise my hand. You know, like I would just stay quiet and maybe just have one friend. But if that friend has other friends, then they don't remember me. Like, I just felt like I wasn't very noticed much in school. And whoever raised their hand were people that were considered smarter and quicker at whatever we were doing and they were celebrated, you know? So, Mm -hmm. so I guess those were my first experiences in school. And then when I started applying for interviews in high school, that's when I realized, oh my gosh, I have to make a good first impression. And interviews are nerve wracking because they have all eyes on you with the way that you dress, the way that you enter the room and shake their hand and all of that stuff. So, and I feel like as a person of color, you think about how people think of you all the time. Um, so, and it's hard to feel confident in these settings where the bosses and coworkers are mostly white. So thinking about my early days in corporate, like in a corporate job, whenever it was my turn to introduce myself in an icebreaker or meet someone in a higher position, my heart would beat fast. Like my mind would race, my heart would be fast, my palms would be sweaty. And then I wouldn't be myself because I'm thinking about how anxious I am. So um, in these situations, I overanalyze my words and my actions and how I'm being perceived. And I remember getting a special quarterly award for my performance. And I was invited to a special award lunch. And at the table, there was only white people there. And they were talking about unrelatable things like these. So I was in a customer service role and these these people, I guess, these people were salespeople. So they were talking about money, like how much money they made, the clients that they made, their status, and just like their overall demeanor was just like, how do you explain that? Just kind of, it's all about me, like me, 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 kind of. And for me, I just, like with this podcast, I like to have deeper conversations, you know, and for people to ask you about you and not necessarily talk all about money and your work and your successes and all that stuff. Well, I want to talk about that stuff. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, but I know what you mean. Yeah, you know what I mean? I've been in those social settings and yeah. I probably was one of those people doing that to fit in, you know, to be gotcha. accepted. So, uh, yeah, I know I resonate with you on that. Yeah. And hopefully our viewers can resonate that with that too. So it's not, it's not just you, like we're all experiencing that. All right. So what does code switching look like for us? So we talked about that already, but maybe there are specific examples that we can share. Yeah, I can choose some examples I didn't mention yet. So in the education field, 
I look very young for my age. I am pretty young for having a master's degree and to be teaching. Um, and sometimes I find myself as the only person of color in the room or among the only POCs during meetings and professional development. And I feel like I constantly have to prove myself to my white colleagues. So I have some examples of what I do like at this present time in my career. So I feel like I always have to be ready to explain my reasonings and choices in my classroom or with my work. So, and I have a colleague that asks for research. Like he always talks about research. Like how does this pertain to research? And, and sometimes, I don't know, sometimes I just make choices because I think it's the right thing to do for my kids. So, mm -hmm. so but I always have to feel like I need to explain myself. And um, like I said earlier, uh, I feel the need to be extra social, like to try harder, especially when I meet someone for the first time in our building or if we're in a group setting, I always struggle with group settings. And I also feel like in my workplace, I have to put away my personal feelings. And I hate asking like, how are you? And then getting the, I'm fine. Because people just say I'm fine because it's just like a question for courtesy, but not really people wanting to know more usually. But I feel like in the workplace, usually the conversations are started for someone to get something out of it. So like when- Yeah, it's like, it's just seems yeah, fake. Right? right. So I'm not taking it as personal anymore. Um, but yeah, it's just something to think about. Like sometimes- People just act like they care, but they don't really care. Like they're just there to do the job. And that's just how some people are when they're at work. But for me, I just, it, it's helpful to find those colleagues where I can lean on and talk to and just feel valued in the workplace. So those are just a couple things that I experience in my job. Um, but what about for you? Well, I grew up as an introvert, and then I became an extrovert, like in my 20s. And then in my 30s, I think now I'm like an ambivert in, in, <laughs> in between the two. And I know sometimes you see this, Jasmine. Yeah. Sometimes I exert a lot of energy, mm -hmm. depending on what the situation is. And I feel like that can come off as fake. But then it's just what I've been used to doing because of work. There were a lot of conferences that I attended, a lot of networking opportunities, and, you know, these types of settings where my voice is naturally quiet, and so I had to really project the oh. volume of my voice. Sometimes I'll muster all the energy I have to, like, kind of present myself in a way that I, you know... Is appealing. Is appealing, right? But it's just something that has been shaping my identity, and, like, that's part of my personality now you know what I mean yeah I feel like I can switch from like different personalities depending mm. on the social situation so hopefully you're following that <laughs> I feel like I'm a chameleon <laughs> that makes sense switch you put me you put Between. me into any group I I don't even have to know who they are and I will find a Adapt way to connect to with someone in that yeah. group or I'll find a way to have a commonality with with the group I think that has helped me a lot as a project manager because every time I'm put on a new project, I have to go and build up my team. And most of the time, I don't know these team members. And it's up to me to be the facilitator and to get people comfortable with 
the project. And I have learned to connect with people from all walks of life through my work experiences. And so it's made code switching become a really useful skill for me in, in the professional world. And I wanted to talk about like my early years because I know the term FOB is a derogatory term when I was growing up. Kids use this a lot. And yeah. it was seen so negatively. Like if someone had just come from Asia, you know, and they have this accent, this Asian accent, they would say, oh, you sound like a FOB. And then you'd get made fun of. And then you'll, you'll feel embarrassed. Uh, I know, you know, our parents speaking English as a second language, like they spoke in broken English, right? And when I, you know, being the oldest child and I would imitate Ma and Ba. So when they mispronounced certain words, I thought that was, the, that was the right way to pronounce the word. Yeah. Or, you know, when they say the number five, <laughs> I copy them like five, number five, <laughs> you know, but then I guess you are who you're around. And yeah. so I think sometimes you'll still hear me sounding fobby. <laughs> me too. <laughs> like when I don't make sense. Yeah. And it just comes out and I'm like, hopefully no one notices. Yeah. Or when you say like number three, you go three. <laughs> you <know? laughs> so sometimes like that <laughs> comes out of me <laughs> when I talk too fast. And so I felt like there was a lot of pressure to get rid of this Asian accent and to move towards sounding more white mm-hmm. and to like remove filler words and to stop using street words. I think that makes it a lot harder for you to, to learn what is appropriate in the professional setting. Yeah, so I think code switching is a business skill. So you either blend in and you're taken seriously and you're considered articulate. At the same time, you know, the cons are you might feel like an imposter. You might feel like you're being fake when you have to constantly use this certain language to prove that you belong in this, you know, social setting. Yeah, I think that's such a great asset that you can get along with anybody. So I think that's something to celebrate that you've learned. Mm -hmm. And I feel like making mistakes in the professional setting will help you, you know, (laughs) it'll be embarrassing, but it'll help. And you can say slang terms and be yourself with your friends and family, but knowing when to, you know, when it's your job, Mm -hmm. making sure to be professional. So it's a learning experience for sure. (laughs) Yeah, you definitely don't want to be using slang when you're like talking to customers or clients or, you know, or leadership executive leadership unless like they also use the same slang words and then that's when you start like understanding code switching right the culture of that place it's like the self-awareness you start to kind of like understand how to read people and like how to read the room and that's just speech communication also written communication making sure that your emails (laughs) are professional yeah that took me that was always fun to do as you know growing up practicing email writing. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So the next question is, what are the benefits of code switching? I think it helps us get ahead and have really great relationships with the people around us. Um, but then again, sometimes I don't feel like I'm being authentic. And I understand that it's part of my professional speech. Like I wouldn't necessarily talk like this to a, our parents or yeah. Ma and Ba. Like when I talk to Ma and Ba to like our 
boo and or ming and yay. Like, I tend to not use big words around them. Like, I just eliminate yeah. that completely and just talk in, like, just simple words. Because mm-hmm. um, I want them to be able to understand me. And so sometimes I'll talk, like, in broken English to them. And that is a part of code switching. Um, and so as code switchers, we wear, you know, different hats. We're able to um, be flexible and adaptable in different types of situation. Um, and I do feel that when I use my more professional speech, I get more respect. I get um, more challenging projects. I get promotions. I get just a better response from people around me. Can you give us a little snippet of your white voice? Oh, yeah. I mean, and use my, my white voice podcasting. It's um, not as amped up, though. My white voice is when I present, like I deliver yeah, a presentation. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, and sometimes I'll like throw in big words here and there. <laughs> Make yourself sound and use smart. corporate language. Like, yeah. for example, when I run a meeting, I'll say... To ensure that we are meeting our goals and objectives and aligning to industry standards and disciplines to better position our company for future system integrations and, and driving operational excellence. Yeah. So it's yeah. just like really professional. Professional. Yeah. I would not talk yeah. to my friends that way. I would not no talk way. to my family that way. <laughs> because the professional speech is also very distant. Mm-hmm. Very distant speech. You don't, it's not warm at all. Just, no, not at all. <laughs> I think it's beautiful that we can navigate so many different groups in our lives and code switchers know how to transcend and transform ourselves in many different settings. And I think it's great to have your communities and know what languages and mannerisms are acceptable. So when I talk with my family, I just feel so comfortable. I feel like my full self, I'm understood. And I don't have to think so much about how I'm talking. I just be, you know? <laughs> and then yeah. with my friends, that's also nice too, because we talk about things that maybe I don't talk to about, talk about with my family. Um, and then with my colleagues, it's nice to talk about our work, about racial equity and social justice. So I feel like code switching is nice because you kind of create yourself in these spaces and you learn how to be confident about it. Um, and I know, like you said, sometimes it makes you feel like an imposter, but I think that good medium is feeling confident with the way that you are in these settings. So do you feel confident at work? Do you feel supported there? Do you feel loved with your family and friends? And if you do, then you're doing code switching the best way you can. So it's just surviving and adapting um, to different situations, but I think, if we feel good about the way that we are and with our relationships, I think code switching is beautiful in mm-hmm. that sense. Yeah. I guess what I was going to say was that I used to sound so monotone. Oh, like really? when I talk, like just no energy, no energy, no enthusiasm. Like I didn't know how to use like intonation, you know, mm. like the fluctuation of your, your voice to emphasize certain points. And... I had to learn that. I mean, it's hard. I had to learn how to sound like an articulate person. And there's so many different like factors that go into it. I took a speech class in college. So I, oh, I was scared to take that it. one. 
<laughs> because you had to do a public speech at Red Square, yeah. right? Um, that was a different speech class. Oh, that was a different yeah, one. I took a different one to learn more of like the science behind speech. Like we learned about like physiology. Mm. We looked at like the lungs and like oh. a diagram of the body of when mm-hmm. you speak. It was really interesting. Yeah. And so I, I guess I just want to say that it takes work to be a code switcher. Um, it doesn't come natural. It takes practice. All right. What are the cons of code switching? So people seem to respect you more and are more willing to listen when you code switch. But like we've mentioned in previously, it can be frustrating because you can also lose yourself. And when you realize this, that you're not being authentic to yourself, um, that doesn't make you feel like you want to be there um, in your workplace or wherever you are. And we want to be authentic to ourselves so that we can make way for other POCs to come into that workplace and feel confident too. And if we don't feel valued in our workplace, then we might burn out and quit. And, and that will make it so that there's less diversity, you know? So we have to find a way as POCs especially to kind of um, find workplaces where we feel valued because code switching can be exhausting and we wanna make sure that it doesn't take a toll on our mental space. Because if you're worried about the way that you're presenting yourself all the time, thinking about what other people think, um, that time could be spent in more positive ways, like focusing on the real tasks that you have to do and not feeling so anxious all the time. I agree with you that it is exhausting to code switch. And as a woman of color, I think that we should be able to be our true self in all situations. And having less having to be less than to get by and avoid issues isn't fair. I see the other side to it too. Like, why should we need to code switch? Like, why can't we just be ourselves? Yeah. And I wish that we didn't have to do this um, to be respected by everyone. But I also feel that it's necessary um, to learn how to code switch because it shows different versions of ourselves and we can be more approachable and relatable to certain individuals. And I think that another con, as we had mentioned, was feeling this huge burden of racial imposter syndrome and having a hard time connecting to your heritage um, on either sides. And sometimes you can get lost among your own codes. Sometimes our Asian accent slips up. <laughs> our authentic and that happens self. sometimes to me too. Um, yeah, me too. That's part of like the portfolio of codes that we have that we've built. And sometimes you know, it's hard to separate the individual codes and it takes practice. How do we maintain authenticity while code switching? Well, I think it's hard to be a woman of color working for a large company where you're underrepresented and you want to feel like you earned your right to be there. And what I've learned is that you can be yourself, but you do need to learn some skills, right? You need to learn to fit into different roles when the situation calls for it. So learning to adapt isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, I think that you can get far in your life when you know how to relate to others. It really increases your emotional intelligence and your self-awareness. So I think these are very critical life skills to have. Yeah, so we don't want to say that code switching is bad. I think 
is the transferable skill. Code switching causes us to hide our personalities, culture, and upbringing sometimes because people might associate our true selves with being uneducated. It takes a lot of energy and it's sad that we live in a society that judges you for who you are instead of embracing our differences and seeing them as strengths and opportunities for other people to learn and accept. And my suggestion for navigating this is self-care. So we've been talking a lot about code switching in the workplace and life isn't just work. So after code switching all day, make sure that you have positive ways to release your stress and anxiety. So that could be finding a person or a community in your workplace that you can vent to and just be yourself and rely on for support. And I also feel that finding work that you're passionate about is important because your true self will show up and you will work harder to succeed because you love it and you will succeed. And any barriers along the way um, will be worth it because your passion is bigger than those small things. And teaching pushed me out of my comfort zone and I remind myself of why I'm here whenever I feel um, anxious about an interaction with someone or I felt like someone didn't like me or I worry about my mistakes that I did during my presentation or whatever. Um, you don't wanna feel miserable where you're working. So I just encourage you to think about how can you feel more valued in the workplace and feel like you're not being in a fake person, like you're not being someone else. So we encourage you to accept yourself and find your place. Yeah, and we spend a lot of time, like a huge chunk of our lives in the workplace. You know, we yeah. work 40 plus hours every week. And we see our coworkers more than our family. We do. And make sure you find a position, a company that values you and you feel comfortable. Right. That's the work. important part. So if you don't, you know, now is a good time to reevaluate and see if you need to look elsewhere. So I want to say that too. Like don't try to push yourself right. if you're miserable at yeah. a certain place. Yeah, because that's the worst to be working somewhere and counting down the hours every day. Like mm -hmm. that's not where you want to be. And we have, at least as Khmer Americans and POCs and just people that grew up here, we have the opportunity to choose what we want to do. Our parents had to take whatever jobs and just deal with it, right? But we have a chance to find where our passions are in our community. So, so good luck to everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just be yourself and learn and adapt and be flexible. And we just wish happiness and success for everybody. And I hope everyone finds their calling, their passion in mm -hmm. life. Well said, sis. So we hope today's episode was interesting for you. And, you know, we wanted to talk about this topic because it's something that we, as people of color, deal with every day. And I never really understood it as a skill before. It was just something that I just did that was just a part of my life. You know, now we know what code switching is and why we use it in different social settings, especially as a person of color. Listeners, thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed this podcast episode and want to continue supporting us, please be sure to give us a review and a rating. 
and hit that subscribe button to receive an alert anytime we release a new episode. We are also very active on Instagram at Two Kamarican Sisters. We check our inbox all the time, so feel free to send us messages on there about our episodes or anything like that. Check out our website at twokamarikansisters.com. Bye, everyone. All right. Bye. Bye.